From on board the Dawn Treader, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So take off your thinking caps and please welcome two guys who could only get to Narnia by taking drugs, Mark Kaiser and Wade Major. I'm insulted by that intimation. Who would possibly put Mark's name first? Corey, who has the nerve? That was written by Ashley Fakava. Ashley, you can come in my wardrobe anytime. <laughs> I hope you're a girl. <laughs> uh, All I know Corey. is my name came first, so I'm happy. Yes, you are. So, Oscars are out of the way, and we can now get back to a remarkably uneventful... Uh, you know, the DVD and Blu-ray release schedule, which really is not that spectacular over the next month or two. It just kills me that Silver Linings Playbook upset and won Best Picture. <laughs> Can you imagine if that would have happened? Oh, dear. By the way, I bought a watch. You bought a watch? Yes. I've not owned a watch in years. And then suddenly I got into watches. Okay. Ask me how much I spent on this watch. How much did you spend on the watch? 500 bucks. Oh, nice. I spent $500 on a Hamilton Thinomatic watch. And you did that why? I don't know. I just got it like a watch thing. I became obsessed with watches. Nice watches, classic styled watches, Rolex watches. I watched videos on how watches are made. Do they still make swatches? Well, of course. Do they still Actually, make Hamilton, I believe, is owned by Swatch. Ah, I but see. now Hamilton, the reason why I wanted Wait, Hamilton... Hamilton is owned by Swatch, not the other way around? No. Yeah, Hamilton's owned by Swatch. Really? I believe. Let me look that up. Um, that's like... That's like, that's like like play school owning Rolls Royce or something. <laughs> I know. That's weird. Um, yes, the Hamilton Swatch Group. Um, what I was going to wow. say is, I was I went online. I looked for best bang for your buck watches, and everybody said Hamilton. Good okay. company, been around for a hundred years, American made. Everyone loves Hamilton. Okay. Then, a few weeks later, if, right in the middle of my watch obsession, I went to the Stanley Kubrick exhibit. Uh, at the L.A. County, County Museum of Art. Yeah. And when you look at the um, 2001 section, you will see that the watch that was worn by the some of the characters in 2001 mm-hmm. is a Hamilton watch. Wow. Bet you didn't know that. No. Bet you didn't care. Don't care. Really? Come Mark, on. It's Mark, 2001. Mark, we got listener mail today, and uh, we got to move. We got to move. We got we got television. We got a lot of great TV, and I'm going to start off by laying unbelievable amounts of praise on Downton Abbey because I love this show. <laughs> Cannot get enough. This is Downton Abbey season three, which everyone by now has probably already seen in broadcast uh, or on uh, Netflix or something. The Blu-ray is the only way you should watch this. It's gorgeous. Um, I did a funny thing actually during uh, during one of the later episodes in the series. I uh, I don't want to know this. Do I want to know? You, you kind of do because uh, we had it on we had it on the television in high def, and then I had it running on Blu-ray at the same time. And I went and I changed the source on the television to do kind of an A-B as to what it looked like in broadcast. I mean, literally, it was, it was within like a nanosecond. You know, you, you switch back and it's, it's, it's the same scene, maybe a little bit off. I did as best I could. But uh, honestly, the Blu-ray is so much better. It's just this is the only way to watch this series. Oh, I can imagine. The costumes, the colors, the, the face, the skin tones. It's just it's beautiful. Who's there? Julian Fellows is my idol. Uh, Cheryl McLean is only in the uh, you know it's funny they, they put her there so prominently because she plays Cora's mom ooh Cheryl McLean she's going to be getting it on with Maggie Smith they're going to be doing the old dowager m- 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 cat fight and it's really only in the uh, 
It's it's only the opening uh, episode. That's it. She doesn't come. I maybe maybe she'll come back next season. But that was like really just that you're only bringing her on for the one episode. Okay, fine. Uh, even still, great series, uh, great season, and there is of course a a death on the show that made a lot of people very very unhappy. But I got to tell you, it was it's great drama. It really did uh, up the ante on the show. It kind of injected new life into it when they went in that direction. And uh, they've set up a whole new set of tensions for uh, for the final, or not, probably not the final. I'm sure there'll be you know season five and six and on and on. But for season four, um, they've set up some pretty interesting stuff. We're not going to be worried about Bates anymore, and there's all this other stuff. You know, it's like we we now we're moving into women's suffrage and uh, all these kinds of global challenges that are part of post World War One, pre World War Two. Pre uh, the Weimar de- years, pre depression, yeah, you know, it's it's like I love the journey that we take through the history of the 20th century. It's really good stuff. So that is a fabulous on Blu-ray. A lot of great extras, uh, great behind-the-scenes stuff. You just, I mean, it's just it's incomparable. Got to get it. Now, what would happen in a knockdown, dragout fight between the cast of Downton Abbey and the cast of Game of Thrones? Uh, the cast of Downton Abbey would uh, not dignify that with a response. Now, exactly. Now, last week we posed uh, the exciting question, who would win in a fight, Thor or SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> and I think you had said SpongeBob would win. He probably would. <laughs> he's awesome. Because he, he, he soaks things up. <laughs> All right, Game of Thrones uh, second season is now on uh, Blu-ray. And this is a fabulous show. People just love, people are just eating up the show like it's, like it's just like a, a, a banquet for a beggar. It is unbelievable. And I think what people like about it is the first of all, there's, there's only 10 episodes a season, so it's not like they can get sick of it. But also, it's got this very deep mythology. You know, the characters are pretty deep, um, and there's a lot of them. Storylines are interesting, and they're pretty complex. Uh, it's great. People love this damn show. It's beautifully shot. Yeah. Um, David Benioff is the, is the writer of it. And for those who don't know... David Benioff is also the writer of, uh, he's written a bunch of stuff. He wrote, um, you know, I don't know, X-Men, uh, 25th Hour, Troy, Kite Runner, yeah. um, X-Men Origins, Wolverine. So, I mean, he's, he's like a writer. He does stuff. You know, he's definitely into that genre type thing. And, you know, it's a great show. It's, uh, the Blu-ray looks unbelievably good. There's a lot of Blu-ray exclusive features. Um, so I cannot recommend highly enough uh, Game of Thrones. I think it'll wind up sort of just like, kind of just plowing through it in like a, some one big two-night just coffee and Game of Thrones bender. I'm kind of not a huge fan of the show, but whatever. What is wrong with you, Wayne? Uh, yeah, I, I, I seem to be the only one, so never mind. There's a game, there's some thrones, there's an of. You can't beat it. Yeah, Game of Thrones, that's, uh, for me, that's, uh, that's Angry Birds. I know. Write your own joke. Angry Birds is the best. Game of Thrones. You don't. You're not getting the joke. I'm not. What you're doing when you're I'm on really the not. throne? You play. Oh, game I see. Thank you. Giggles. But dum, but dum, but dum, but dum, but dum, but dum. What? Uh, a little bit of vintage TV here. Going to start off with 20 episodes from The Naked City. I wish they'd do the whole series. They need to do the entire complete Naked City in just a, a great, fabulous Blu-ray box is what they need to do. Uh, but that being said, um, this DVD set of 20 episodes from The Naked City, there are 8 million stories in The Naked City. Uh, this was a good show. This was a really good show. I think it dates extremely well. I think the writing is really sharp. And, of course, the big deal with The uh, the Naked City is that the, the guest stars were always just, especially now, you look back and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's Martin Sheen. He's like five years old. 
is that Christopher Walken? Really? Christopher Walken? He looks like he's 10. And I kid you not here, Mark, even on the packaging, that's look, that's Walken, that picture right there, that's Walken. Check that out. Oh, my God. I know. Isn't that unbelievable? He's, I mean, he's like... Robert six, Duvall? He's like 16 or something. I know. Shatner? Yeah. Gene Hackman? Yeah. There are a lot of great people on this show. There's a lot of great shows. I mean, it, that. this was one of those really, really seminal TV shows that was just... It was gritty, and it was awesome, and it was really good. I like it a lot. Uh, back, in the, back in the day when TV was, you know, kind of classy. Uh, Gunsmoke, the seventh season, volume two. This is just, I can't believe it. Mark, when I collect Social Security, assuming that it's still solvent at that time, they will be on Gunsmoke maybe the third to the last season. Yeah, uh, they, they, really are dragging, they, they really are dragging out a show that probably barely sells anyway. It, this, just look, get it over with. Get it over with. Anyone who's going to buy Gunsmoke, the seventh season, volume two, is going to buy all of them. So just release the whole damn thing or do a subscription deal or something, but just release it or do it on an installment plan. Do it like a refrigerator, you know. We'll, we'll, put, uh, we'll put 20 bucks down and I'll, pay, I'll do monthly payments and pay it off. But just release the whole thing for crying out loud. The show ran for like 22 years or something. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing with Bonanza. Here I've got uh, – this is also from uh, Paramount and CBS – uh, this is the fifth season value pack, which is part one and part two. It's like, really? Fifth season? Bonanza ran for like 18 years. By the time you get Bonanza and Gunsmoke out there, here's what they should do. Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Big Valley. All three series. Just release them all right now. Well, the rumor is that they're going to release season eight, both halves, on May 7th. So Whoa. both halves of season eight, Great. they will release on May 7th. Great. That's the rumor. Don't know if it's true. And then uh, one of my all-time favorite shows, the eighth season of Matlock. Uh, oh, for crying out, Jesus. <laughs> they should put this out on 8-track. <laughs> uh, I wasn't ready for that one. Uh, it just blows my mind that this show ran for eight seasons plus. How many seasons did this thing run for? Too many. It just it did. But how this is, is back it? when CBS was like the like the the uh, network of old people. I, I kid you. I know it was like Matlock and Murder She Wrote and the Sunday Night lineup. I, I kid you not. These things come in the Mat the Matlock eighth season. I'm like, all right, let's see what. It, and you, you just you go to a random episode on the DVD set, and honestly, it could be any other episode in Matlock. It it's it, like they're all interchangeable. And I know a lot of people think the Law and Order episodes are interchangeable, and they kind of are in CSI and all these shows that sort of have that very that, the, the boilerplate thing. But my gosh, Matlock, it's all, he's always there, and there's always somebody on the stand. Now, didn't you see the gardener when the thimpa did? It's oh, I'm really just an old country lawyer. It's it's like it's Perry Mason crossed with uh, you know a geriatric. Uh, no, Perry Mason was geriatric enough. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right, Wade. Uh, here we go. The eighth and final season of Weeds. This thing has... You're, you're like, is that Weeze? still on? Weeds? Exactly. Eighth and final season of Weeds, which is... You're right. At this point, it has become kind of wheezy. And I don't mean the Jefferson's wheezy. Um, I, I ran out of interest in the show a bunch of years ago, as uh, obviously as, the, as audiences did too, because now the show is gone. And uh, it just got ridiculous. It's like, you know, um, Mary Louise Parker had a son with a drug dealer and... You know, last season ended on this cliffhanger where she was going to be assassinated. It just got to be too much. So here they sort of dial it back a little bit to where she's out of jail, and now she's just trying to live her life as she did in the first couple of seasons. But at this point, I just think it's over. But if you love this show, then there's absolutely no reason why you would not want to uh, go ahead and just get this last final season. Um, the DVD looks fine. Whatever. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, the Blu-ray looks fine, but ultimately I just think this thing is way over. I think this thing should have been done after like six seasons tops. Uh, Nurse Jackie uh, with Edie Falco is another show that I never quite, you know, there's something about the Showtime original series that seemed like, like the runner-up, the B-level, yeah. the nice try version of like the HBO shows. Um and, you know, this is Nurse Jackie. She plays a nurse, and she's addicted to all sorts of, uh, you know, illicit substances. And and it's it's a little bit predictable in that sense. Um, the thing with um, Nurse Jackie is that it tries to kind of be – it tries to be very kind of snarky and wry and that kind of thing, like what this woman goes through mm. in this hospital. But in the end, I just find it's not that consistent – uh, in terms of the writing, uh, she's fine, but I'm not really grooving on the character because I feel like it's going exactly where you think it's going to go. I'm not a big fan of Anna Devere Smith. I never have been, and she's in it. Um, I think I'm alone on that. Everyone loves her. Although I do love Bobby Cannavale. I'm glad he's getting some work on the show. Um, anyway, this show, again, it just seems like kind of like a decent runner-up in terms of the A-list shows like Game of Thrones that are out there. Uh, but there you go, Nurse Jackie Season 4. Beautiful. You know, The Client List is a lifetime show with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I love how everybody describes this show. They're always trying to... This is the most euphemistically described show ever. This is The Client List, uh, the complete first season. Jennifer Love Hewitt keeps bouncing into uh, these bad TV series. And, um, you know, The Ghost Whisperer was was nothing special. Anyway, this is... (laughs) Basically, here's the deal. Uh, She's a single mom. A husband bails on her. She gets a job at the local massage parlor only to be shocked that it's a den of prostitution. I have not seen a single description of this show that uses the word prostitution. Everybody, it's just so euphemistically described. She gets a job at the local massage parlor where her co-workers offer special extra services, bonus a la carte for a certain... Come on, it's a friggin', it's a, it's a hooker show. Give me a break. Uh, it's Jennifer Love Hewitt. She's, she's got a huge rack, and that's the only reason people ever put her on shows. She's awesome. You know, she's 34 years old. Isn't that amazing? I know. Gosh. Hot. Hot. Wow. H-O-T. Hot with a capital L. Anyway, right. uh, look, Loretta Devine is on the show. She's always fun. I always enjoy her. Um, but uh, Sybil Shepard playing her mom, that's a problem. Sybil Shepard uh, d- needs a better show. I'm kind of sad for her on that on that account. But anyway, uh, whatever. It's, you know, it's a Lifetime show. It's based, I guess, on a Lifetime movie. From a couple of years ago. Yeah, Lifetime does a lot of that kind of like low yeah, rent uh, female skewing movies where it's like a little bit, it's a little bit naughty, but not too naughty because it's a bunch yeah, of housewives exactly. and you're, you know you can't offend them. And then uh, kind of on the same naughty angle because everything on TV is naughty these days, right? You know, revenge, scandal. <sighs> I know the first two. I'm not familiar with ha ha sha. I'm not no. familiar with that one. Uh, there's also Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl. Is that oh. thing over yet? No, maybe. I guess it is. This, yes, it is. This is the uh, the final season, the sixth season. Not that I really care an awful lot. Uh, it's, you know, friggin' it's a CW show. You know, woo. <laughs> the CW was just the worst thing ever. It was CW. Ugh, the well, creation just, of well, CW. Sure, I mean, it's I mean, it's no worse than UPN was. So anyway, the here. Frog. Remember UPN with the frog? This has this has. No, uh, wait, UPN wasn't the frog. The CW was the frog. C- no, uh, uh, WB. WB, WB was, the was the frog. Yeah. Anyway, so here we go. Sixth and final season of Gossip Girl. If you if you gotta have it, you gotta have it. I guess. Poor it's Wade. Like it's, uh, yeah. Poor Wade. Hey, look. <laughs> so it, angry. Look, you know what? It came out. We're obligated to let you know it's there. There it is. That is true. 
Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, you know, the uh, relaunch of Battlestar Galactica is just, uh, this thing's been spun off into a hundred different things. And Wade doesn't like it because it doesn't have the, the some stupid dog that was on the 70s show that sucked it, if you it, watch look, it today. Look, look I, I am loyal to the original show, Lame. and this takes too many deviations, and I just cannot I cannot abide that. What if they called it like, 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 like Steve's War? If they call it Steve's War and you watched it, would you like it? Yes, you would like Maybe. it. Maybe. Steve's War. Maybe. <laughs> Well, Blood and Chrome is interesting because it was like a web series, then it was like a TV movie, then it was a regular movie, then it was a Blu-ray, and so the uh, the thing took a rather circuitous uh, route to uh, Blu-ray. Um, this takes place during the uh, the first Cylon War. This thing's very Terminator. It's almost like Terminator in space. Um, we had talked about a, uh, I think it was, was it Halo? There was a web, there was a web series that was released on Blu-ray that I think was, was it Halo? And uh, it was live action. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, I think it was a live action Halo web series that was finally released on Blu-ray. And this is a little similar to that, but um, this has some great writing because it's, it's again, it's, it's the Battlestar Galactica guys uh, from the TV show putting this together. So it does look nice. Um you know what? It's almost like it's just more. It's like the, it's like Star Wars Clone Wars. If you want to know more about how the show came to be in terms of plot and story, this is the way to go. It looks good, sounds good. Uh, you know, some of the characters are different. A couple characters from the old show kind of you know float in and out. Um, but yeah, it's good, it's good stuff. If you like Battlestar Galactica, I wouldn't start here. If you were into Battlestar Galactica, I'd start with the with the relaunch of the yeah, show. Okay. But once you're like, you know, 50 episodes into that, Are you, you, done? you can hit Blood and Chrome. Are you done? What? Okay, fine. It's good. Uh, you know what? I just, because I want to talk about Top Gear, the complete season two, the hit U.S. show. This is not a hit. This is from BBC, of course, but this is the U.S. version of the show. And if you don't have Jeremy Clarkson, I don't want to watch it. Seriously. What, what's the point of having an American version of the show? Oh, let's do a U.S. version where we cover less interesting cars and we hire three American guys who are not even remotely as interesting as Jeremy Clarkson or, or James May or Richard uh, Hammond, the, the three guys that you know were just like so awesome on the British show. Um, these guys, I don't even know their names. They're lame. They're uninteresting. They think they're cute and clever and funny, and they're not. The only reason to watch this is because the cars are cool. But uh, that's not enough for me, frankly. I could find that on the Internet any time of day. Uh, it's okay, as far as the cars, the cars are the only thing that keep it running. But otherwise, watch the British show for crying out loud. A uh, really, really great thing here from the uh, from the History Channel. This is a three disc Blu Ray set. The Men Who Built America. Um, this is really fascinating. I uh, I'm glad they're doing more of this stuff. This is eight episodes, eight fabulous Blu Ray episodes uh, from this uh, History Channel original miniseries about the, the the industrial titans who were responsible essentially for building modern America coming out of the Industrial Revolution. And, of course, Henry Ford and, and, and Johnny Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and uh, J.P. Morgan and the Vanderbilts. It's a, it's a, you know, those are the giant uh, aristocratic entrepreneurial families that, uh, that really did not just build America, but they built the world. And this is a really, I mean, it's not, you know, this is not going to win any Oscars. Uh, and it's a little on the long side, you know, it's six hours, but um, it's very informative, it's very accurate, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. It, it takes some time, you know, you just kind of got to breathe with it, but uh, really good, good historical writing. 
And then last on our television front is Method to the Madness of Jerry Lewis. This is an encore original, Mark. Jerry Lewis, is, Jerry Lewis is making another movie. Did you know that? I, I actually, I do know that. He looks yeah. good. I mean, he's old, obviously, but at least he lost all that weight from when he was on steroids. Or that he was looking, you, you remember when we gave him the uh, the award at uh, at the Lafka dinner, he was looking poorly. I think that was the he, year before I joined. He was, oh, really? Because I wasn't there for that. You weren't there for that? No. Really? I was not. You were not there when I had the honor of <laughs> presenting Jerry Lewis, his lifetime, his career achievement award? Uh. You know, I still have that picture of of, of, <laughs> of Ray and me flanking Jerry Lewis and Jerry with his face and this look on his face like, who are these two schmoes? Get me out of here. It's great. Awesome. It's fabulous. Uh, no, this is really, really great. And uh, there's, there are a lot of documentaries on Jerry Lewis, and this is certainly not the definitive one, but Encore does, uh, does a really good job of... Uh, you know, drilling down with a lot of these people. And this was uh, actually an entry at the Cannes Film Festival, believe it or not. It wound up on television here, but it uh, this is a wonderful job of paying tribute to him. You get tons and tons of people just telling you how great a genius he was and how influential he was. Everybody from Billy Crystal to Alec Baldwin to Carl Reiner and it's just on and on. Jerry Seinfeld. It's, it's And Steven Spielberg even shoehorns himself in there like he does with everything. He's got to, you know, why is he always a part of these things? He really does. It's amazing. Like, oh yeah, Spielberg, of course. He's a he's completely influenced by Jerry. Yeah, that scene in job uh, well. Okay. Whatever it is, he'll just he'll just he's trying yeah. to be like the, he he's trying to be like the emperor, the king, yeah. the ultimate uh, whatever. He, well, it's becoming tiresome. Like when 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 he glommed himself onto Stanley Kubrick's legacy. I know. I know. That was it the just, end. I was so upset by that. But anyway, that was it, it's really good. So definitely check that out. You don't have to be a Jerry Lewis fan. It, it, it'll certainly give you a sense of why he fits into film history in a certain way. And that's important as far as I'm concerned. I think that's a, that's a vital thing. Uh, where are we in the show now, Mark? We're, uh, we're 20. Let's, let's go through some. Um, yes. Let's go through some foreign stuff. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> we are well organized here on the big show. Well, I want to do listener mail. I don't want to get. Oscar show. I, I want to do some listener mail, but I want to get to it, uh, you know, at a certain. It's sufficiently yes, into the yes, show. I don't want to do it too early. I'm tired, man. I got a baby now. I'm not getting a lot of sleep. Baby. Yeah. She's Babies adorable. are cute. She's awesome. She's just awesome. Every, every day she comes up with like a new thing. Like yesterday she, she looks at me. I mean, you know, she's, she's only a few weeks old. And yesterday she looks at me and she says, is calculus really that important? And I thought, well, not at your age. And so we had a little talk about that, and, and she agreed that she was going to stick with algebra for now. I, I thought she said uh, she her, her her first words are going to be, I like the new Battlestar Galactica. No. Those words will never be uttered by any flesh of mine. Uh, a terrific, underrated, and little-known film, frankly, from Criterion. I love it when they, come, when they just pull these things out of their unit, and you go, wow, really? This is from 1961. Chronicle of a Summer. Uh, have you ever heard of this, Mark? I have not. It's 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 really interesting because it is one of the. This is probably one of the most influential French films of the '60s, and yet almost nobody has ever heard of it. Um, really, really intriguing. It's uh, it's uh, this, is, this is essentially a collection of interviews from the summer of 1960. And these aren't filmmakers making this necessarily. Um, Edgar Morin is a, sociolo- a sociologist, and Jean Rouche uh, is an anthropologist, 
also a filmmaker. But basically, these are guys who just wanted to document a moment in time. And uh, it's a series of interviews and questions with an incredibly diverse group of people um, in, 19, in Paris in 1960. And you get this really great kind of sociopolitical tapestry and snapshot of a point in time. The Algerian War, of course, was going on. And uh, it's just it's just great. It just immerses you in a moment. And um, there aren't a lot of films that do that. It's considered one of the seminal works in uh, in the sort of the, the moment of cinema verite, when that was uh, being formed as an actual uh, art aesthetic, a cinematic aesthetic. Um, just terrific. Really, really good. Very nicely transferred. Uh, brand new 2K digital master from the uh, 2011 Cineteca de Bologna restoration. And uh, it's great. Really terrific. This is one of those little Criterion gems that just comes out of left field, and you go, bravo, well done. Well done. We now want to talk about your favorite film of last year. I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to go in the other room. (laughs) Now, if you notice, on the back of the uh, Blu-ray for Holy Motors, the uh, Leo's Carax film. Everyone in Lafka loved this friggin' movie. It says, look, it says, winner, Los Angeles Film Critics Association, best foreign language film. Oh. This is an indescribably strange film that uh, I have a feeling that will completely confuse, polarize, possibly anger many people who watch it. It is a French film, and it's hard to say what it's about, except it is about a, uh, a guy. It's about a guy played by Denis Levant. I'm, I'm looking who, forward to how you're going to describe this. Uh, he, it, the movie is, uh, is approximately 11 vignettes where uh, Leo's Carax goes into a limousine, changes costume as the limousine drives to its next location, and then he gets out as a completely different character. Sometimes he's a motion capture hero. And in one of them, he's this strange imp character who has an enormous erection that is full frontal right there in front of you. Yeah, and in another one, he actually bites someone's fingers off. That's, that was beautiful. In another one, he bites someone's fingers off. In another one, he does a duet with Kali Minogue. So, oh yeah, that was charming how that one ended. You, you think, oh, this is a charming salute to the musical, oh, the musical genre, because all it is, all this really is, is just it, Leo's Carax could not get another movie off the ground, so he decided to do something really audacious, so he could get enough money to get another movie going. So this was supposed to be his weird kind of uber artistic stopgap film, and uh, it's supposed to be like all these little riffs on different film genres. Oh yeah, and that Kylie Minogue thing, that's fabulous. It was like, oh, why didn't all MGM musicals end like this? What a happy ending. <laughs> I won't give it away, but it was like I wanted it, that. I, I was so out of that movie by that point. I was so done. Everybody who complains that movies are all the same and they're all predictable and it's just the same thing over and over again, I want you to watch Holy Motors and tell me if you've ever seen a film even remotely like this. You know you what? Have not. Anyone who complains that food all tastes the same, I'm going to get a bucket of slop <laughs> and I'm going to give it to you, and you can try that and you can say, you know what? This doesn't taste like anything I've had in a long time. So Wade loves Holy Motors. Yeah. Is what we're trying to say. Uh, but I think this thing is an interesting experiment. I, I actually, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I understood it. I don't know that Leo's Carax understands it. I don't know ultimately <laughs> what he's trying to say with it. No. Um, I think that people tend to put their own spin on it based on their own experiences, yeah. which of course is true of all films, but especially here, um, I have my own interpretation and you will too when you see it. Uh, but Holy Motors is definitely an experience. Yes, it is. It is not rated. Uh, just know that there is some, uh, sexual, uh, there's some sexual craziness going yeah, on. There's, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But it's not a porn film at all. But it's just Leo's Carax is out of his mind. A couple more criterions here. Really fabulous titles. I am so excited about these. Uh, Yvonne's Childhood, the Andrei Tarkovsky film. Andrei Tarkovsky's first feature film. 
is magnificent. We've been waiting for this for a long time from Criterion to come out on Blu-ray. And uh, here it is. It is just fantastic. 1962, a terrific, just unbelievable, gorgeous black and white transfer. Uh, it doesn't get any better than this. Uh, Tarkovsky, of course, is one of my filmmaking gods. Anybody uh, who's listened to this show long enough knows that. And um, this is great. It just it perfectly complements everything. This is it. I've been waiting for this forever, and it, it could not have been more beautiful. Could not have been more poetic. Um, great uh, interviews with cinematographer uh, Vadim Yusuf and the actor Nikolai Borlaev. Borlaev. Uh, I know I'm just murdering these uh, these Russian names, but uh, it, there's a, a great booklet. It's just it's such a wonderful film. It's just pure cinematic poetry. It doesn't get any better. And then uh, another great film, the uh, Darden Brothers, Kid with a Bike. I'm so mixed on the Darden Brothers. I hate Rosetta so much, but I've loved some of their other films so much. So this one is one that I liked. And uh, every time they deal with younger children, somehow they kind of get to me. Um, this was one of the underrated films from last year. I thought this would be in the running for our awards at one point, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it's true. I, I don't think that, you know, people love peop, the, the, the last Darden film. The child, yeah, which is really so super grooved on. Oh, so good. This one less so. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe because it isn't quite as good as the child, but that means it's like better than ninety-eight percent of everything else. Well, so is Holy Motors. No, I don't. I, I know. I don't know. <laughs> no. How about no? Would you believe no? Would you believe uh, no? Uh, but uh, once again, this is a, this is a this is a really interesting look at. Um, and a troubled child, an 11-year-old kid, and uh, who's desperately trying to reconnect with, um, with his father. And it is, uh, it's touching, and it includes one of the best performances I've ever seen from Cécile de France. And uh, it's just a great film. It's really, uh, it's really touching. Beautiful. A lot of great extras, including a half-hour documentary that goes back to the locations of the film. And uh, a sensational essay by Jeff Andrew in the booklet, which really crystallizes everything that this movie is about. Absolutely excellent Blu-ray. Got to get it. Uh, an interesting animated film from last year, which I uh, totally recommend, is a thing called Tales of the Night. And Tales of the Night, you know what's funny? It's like the more, sometimes, uh, you know, animation and CGI and computer effects have gotten so sophisticated that sometimes like the most refreshing thing in the world is a movie that goes back to the way it used to be done. Yes. And Tales of the Night is all silhouette animation. It's black characters outlined against colorful backdrops. And it's the way, you, it's the way animation was in the very, very early days of yeah. cinema. Yeah. And... Um, so Tales of the Night are six stories, six short films. There's a there's a, 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 a connecting device between all six films, but that's not that important. Um, but the animation is just fantastic. Tales of the Night is just charming, and it just feels instantly timeless. Um, and I just liked it a lot. It's a great film. It's got, you know, no one story outstays its welcome because they're all because it's just six short films, even though. All the characters are black, you know, black silhouette. The backgrounds are beautifully rendered. They look great. You know, there's a, the music is terrific. It's, it's a film for families, but people who love animation will definitely groove on it. And uh, I really recommend for animation fans Tales of the Night. It's not, it's not a Pixar film. It's not The Incredibles or whatever, but I just think it's a really special little movie, Tales of the Night. Nice. 
You know, Mark, uh, some years ago, we did an audio commentary for a movie called Carcasses. Do you remember that? I do. The Denis Cote film? Yes. And a uh, totally unique film, totally unique French-Canadian uh, filmmaker. He's got a new movie, Bestiaire, which actually is now out on uh, from Zeitgeist and Kim Stim on DVD. And it is also, by the way, screening at the Cine Family in town uh, right around now, or else it did last week. I forget which. But uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's making its way around to theaters in kind of a specialized revival format and it's also out on DVD and it's more the same if you if you heard if you watched carcasses and heard our commentary and thought this is an interesting movie that kind of splits the difference between documentary and narrative and exists in this weird purgatorial netherworld between genres and in I just can't categorize it. This is another one of those films. Cote has a very unique way of making movies. And uh, this is this is one of those kind of ethereal, quasi-documentary looks at the way that people and animals relate. Uh, it's all shot in, an, in a uh, safari park in Quebec, which made me think, there's a safari park in Quebec? Why not? I, why not? There must be. Uh, but it's really cool. It is incredibly well photographed, and uh, it's, it, it captures some amazing moments where you go, really? That's, how do you g- even get that shot without just f- uh, to completely artificially staging this? It's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting movie, and uh, obviously Denis Cote is not for all tastes, but you know what? If you, if you, it's, he's just a unique artist, and I highly recommend you at least rent it and take a look at it. Oh, wait, there's an interesting film uh, from Zeitgeist. We, we uh, like the people at Zeitgeist. Uh, it's a movie called Silent Souls, and it's a unique movie. It's about a uh, – it's kind of a road movie. It's about a guy who uh, whose wife dies, and then he winds up on a road trip with his writer, and they are going to dispose of the wife's remains according to the rituals of this crazy, strange – I think they're called like the Murria people um, from Finland – so it's all about going to this place where they're going to dispose of the remains in a very specific way. And I just think this is a very interesting movie because it really it really it has a certain mystical, I guess, almost magical realist sort of tinge to it. And it's got a very it's got very interesting takes on kind of what it is to what it is to be alive and what it is to have to deal with death. And and uh, I just think that it got absolutely no play here. Uh, in the states, but if you check it out, uh, I think you're really going to be going to be taken by it. It's definitely an adult film. It's not, you know, it's an not, adult film. It's well, an adult it's, film. It's for you know, it's it's not for five year olds. Yeah, because it's pretty it's pretty profound. It's only seventy five minutes, so it's not like a long film, but uh, it's got a very kind of earthy quality, very poetic, and uh, I liked it. I was I had not heard of it until I uh, looked at the DVD. Um, but I have to say, I was really kind of taken by Silent Souls from the good folks at uh, Zeitgeist. Nice. Uh, I'm going to blow through uh, just a few final uh, titles here. Uh, there is a quartet of films from Olive. You know, Olive is mostly licensing these um, these Paramount titles, but they are licensing some interesting foreign language stuff as well. And uh, we got a couple of Belmondo films here, a couple of uh, uh, Belmondo genre films, really. This is with, with uh, Jean-Paul, Belmo- Jean-Paul Belmondo, Lino Ventura. Bernard Blier, the father of Bertrand Blier, the filmmaker, and uh, Gert Frobe, and it's called Greed in the Sun, otherwise known as $100,000 in the Sun, and this is directed by Henry Verneuil in 1964, and it's, uh, it, it's not a very good film, to be honest, but it's an interesting genre film uh, in the sense that it's, uh, one, it's kind of a quasi-French western 
doesn't take place in the in the Western period, but it takes place in the Sahara. And the the story itself, you know, these these guys who are they're sort of you know renegades, and uh, they're kind of trying to. It's sort of like like you know guys in the West going across the frontier trying to make their trade and. Uh, they running into all of the all the things that the Wild West presents to them. That, that's sort of the same concept here, and uh, it's just a very generic French action film from the '60s. But it, it's an interesting artifact if you're into that. The other one kind of splits the difference between the James Bond and uh, To Catch a Thief. Uh, this is um, you know a, a little bit of a Cold War spy thriller crime film called The Brain. This is uh, directed by Gerard Uri in uh, 1969, and it's got a very late 60s, early 70s kind of a groove to it. Uh, the uh, Belmondo is getting into his cheeseball era here, um, so he's not really he's not really the the guy that we all you know knew from the uh, the early new wave stuff. This is a little bit more into his uh, his genre film, his action film stuff. But you know what, David Niven even shows up in this and gives it a little bit of uh, credibility, so it's it's okay. I wouldn't highly recommend it. And then uh, much more recommended from the Olive Front is the, uh, the, the French version, believe it or not. This is like the only French version that anyone has. There are too many American versions and British versions. Uh, Jean-Paul de Chanois did Les Miserables in a very, very faithful version in 1958. Uh, just absolutely beautiful anamorphic widescreen with Jean Gabin and um, Serge Reggiani and Bourville. It's, this is a really, really good version of the film. I'm not sure it's the definitive, but it uh, it certainly feels pretty definitive. And uh, if you want to see the film done in a non-musical way that really kind of captures the, the essence of the language that it was originally written in, I would say this is the one to watch. A little bit dated, but really kind of a, a nice anamorphic widescreen, old-school epic uh, treatment for the material. Very, very good. And Jean Gabin is always worth a look. And then Joseph Losey's Don Giovanni, uh, the... Uh, Mozart opera, all three whopping hours of it from 1979. Uh, you know what? It's a it's a stylish, interesting take on it. Uh, all of these filmed operas, including um, the the Ingmar Bergman version of the uh, the Magic Flute, they all kind of leave me a little bit cold. But this is a very nice Blu-ray. It's beautifully transferred, and if if opera is your thing, then you'll you'll love this. And then uh, finally, three excellent French films from last year that you got to check out. 17 Girls. It's not on Blu-ray. It's on DVD. But this is based actually on an American incident where all those young girls had that pregnancy pact. You remember that? It was like in Connecticut or yes. something? Yes. Remember Man, that story. that was creepy. Totally. Uh, well, this is a French film uh, that I, from uh, Delphine and Muriel Coulin, a sister filmmaking team, that actually transfers that story and dramatizes it in, in a certain way in, uh, in a small French... Oh, it's Massachusetts. It's Gloucester, Massachusetts. That's where it happened in the, in the U.S. But anyway, they, they do this. They create a, a French equivalent to it, and it's mostly fictionalized. I mean, they borrow very, very little from the actual American incidents, but, man, it's a really, it's a really, really chilling movie as these women just decide, hey, why not? We'll all get pregnant together. We'll raise our kids together. It's creepy and very, very well done. Uh, Chicken with Plums... Absolutely great film. This was on my top ten list. Yeah, was it really? I love this movie. It's so stylish that I feel it was like all oh. style, no anything. Oh, this is wonderful. It really? It's just yeah. you never get into the characters because it's so into its own little, up its own style. Oh, but. see, I thought the story was wonderful. This is uh, Marjan Satrapi and Vincent Parano's follow-up to... Um, Star Wars? 
no, to their to their animated thing, uh, Persepolis. Persepolis, and uh, this is live action, and it's just so stylish and it's beautiful. And I know a lot of people ridiculed this because they thought it was overly stylized, but I I thought it was just fantastic. I thought the story, which is all nonlinear and kind of wraps around and deals with the you know the pre-Islamic revolution, Iran, and and just you know father and daughter and violin and all of this 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 amazing story that just weaves through these characters' lives and past and present and ah, oh, it's just beautiful. I just I got totally caught up in the rhythm of it. It was like a dream. And then lastly, uh, Blu-ray of Little White Lies, uh, Guillaume Canet's new film, uh, his follow-up to Tell No One, which is totally different. Tell No One was a big thriller, and Little White Lies is almost like the big chill. Um, the uh, Jean Dujardin is uh, kind of the uh, the life of the party in this group of friends, and he is in an accident that just leaves him near death. And all of his friends go on their without they, without him, they go on their regular summer getaway in the south of France, and um, it's just very much the Big Chill at that point, um, but better than the Big Chill. It includes Marion Cotillard, who's just delightful. Francois Clouzet, who's who was also in Tell No One and who's who's in uh, The Untouchables, who's just amazing. Uh, Dujardin's hardly in the film, but he's so good in what he does. It's just Benoit Magimel. I love everyone in this movie. This is just great. Uh, throw the Big Chill away. Watch this movie. Little what? White Lies. Terrific. Big Chill rules. Terrific film. Chill rules out here. You say that. All right. So uh, shall we dovetail into some listener mail? And what? Then, and listener then, mail? And then we'll wrap out with some big releases of some classic films. Big releases of some classic films. All right. Big releases of classic films. Here we go. Listener mail. First up from Adam Ballard. Um, he says, I'm curious to know what are your favorite what your favorite movie theaters are. My personal faves are theaters at uh, Canal Place in New Orleans, Louisiana, and Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas. Theaters at uh, Canal uh, the theaters at Canal have posh leather recliners for seats, and you can order fine cuisine and beverages at the push of a button. Alamo Draft House is similar, but on the opposite end of the luxury spectrum. At Alamo, it's more like a barn grill inside. Both are great, distinct venues that keep uh, that take the movie watching experience to another level. Keep up the stellar work. Give Corey a high five. I feel like he's an unsung hero. Damn right. Corey's the man. Mark, favorite theaters? Uh, my favorite theater is one that uh, the average plebe, <laughs> bam, can't go to. The main theater yeah. on the Paramount lot. I agree. That was my I favorite agree. theater. I and agree. my number two would be the Academy Theater on Wilshire. I I love the uh, – see, we love all the private theaters. It's, I mean, these are ones that people can't go to. I mean, it, you know, look, I, I used to love the National – torn down i used to love the big screen at the avco where you worked they split it up um i still love the chinese i still love the village those are classic old art deco movie palaces i love everything about them uh i, I thoroughly enjoy going to the el capitan i mean those are the i the don't nice... like the el capitan the el capitan the seats are too small yeah the seats true. are too small although I, mean, I, I still enjoy the uh the uh, cinerama dome the dome but, but as far as as far as like great theaters I, i'm sorry there's just nothing in the world like uh like the two screens it, it can like the debussy and the, and the lumiere those are true. just unfreaking believable there's nothing like them they're they're just amazing and then there's also the grand rex which is you know seats like three thousand people in uh in, in uh, paris that's an old movie palace in paris which you take you know take three escalators to get to the top balcony i love all the palaces but yeah, as far as private screening rooms in L.A., the Paramount Theater is sensational. Uh, the the direct the DGA the big screen at the DGA is great yeah, too. Yeah, that's true. That's and the Academy you. Theater; those are all great. Yeah, but I, I'm not so much into you know food and all that stuff in my theaters. Well, uh, they're trying to repl- my... they're trying to replicate the in home. It, it's well, fun. It's they're trying to replicate. It's funny because like theaters used to want to build their movie houses 
to get people away from the home, to give them, give them something they, they can't get at home. Now some people are actually building their movie theaters to give you exactly what you can get at home, yeah. which is a big plush seat and food. Well, the, the, the more our, the more we make our home theaters like theaters, the more they make theaters like your living room. Well, I, which, yeah, I don't understand that. It's a very strange thing. Um, and a friend, my, my good friend Michael Venables wrote to us in something very interesting that I wanted to bring up here. He was watching the Skyfall Blu-ray, which we talked about last week, and he was perplexed by the presence of a Die Hard trailer on it for the new Die Hard film because the Bond films are MGM-UA and and the Die Hard film is a 20th Century Fox film. And uh, the answer to that actually is because MGM has an output deal with Fox. So Fox it handles MGM's films um, for DVD and Blu-ray. That's their current agreement. So, And that's not uncommon. Sometimes not one uncommon. studio so, will have an output deal with another studio. Yes, so Fox is just loading their uh, – they're just putting their – putting their own movie on there and it makes sense you know if they can do it because it, it, it basically caters to the same audience and uh, then Kyle Stevens says don't know what to make of the movie The Master I feel like Phoenix and Hoffman both deliver top notch A plus performances but the, the material is no good the movie meanders and drags with the hopes and that profound self realizations will be had by the climax but none are presented I can't give it a bad review because of the acting but I can't give it a good review because of the plot your thoughts we talked about this last week we did, and the idea, you know, I, I had uh, struggled with what the Philip Seymour Hoffman character really represents. I mean, for a while I was going on a theory that he kind of represented the, the, false, the false promise of American exceptionalism post-World mm-hmm. War II, where, you know, America has all the answers, you know, to all it's downtrodden, but in the end it really doesn't, and you're on your own. Yeah. And I was kind of working on that theory for a while, but in the end, I mean, I do agree that I, that I think that, uh, like we said last week, that... Uh, uh, Paul has to worry about getting up his own butt too much. And Beesball writes and says, if you guys need an outlet, please start working for IGN. They desperately need a review staff. Who knows what they're talking about? IGN stupid for movies? You know, uh, we actually, Wade and I have talked about that. We haven't approached IGN yet. Uh, in fact, I hope they're not listening to this because then they'll know that we're thinking of it. But yeah. we have talked about that very thing. So mm-hmm. a good comment. Yes, indeed it is. And uh, Jason Levy says, Digigods, have you seen any movies in a D-Box theater? If you don't know what D-Box is, it's a theater where the seats vibrate and react to what's on the screen. There's a theater with a D-Box near where I work, but I've never gone to see anything there. The added price for the uh, price tag for the D-Box is expensive and goes even higher when D-Box is mixed with 3D. My boss loves seeing blockbusters in D-Box. What are your thoughts of this added movie-going experience? I'd be willing to try it once, but I can't imagine it would be something I would like to go back to often. And I can't see catching it... Uh, is see it catching on as much as 3D has? I don't even think 3D has caught on. I think it's waning. I think I think that the blue. I think that people are getting a little bit tired of 3D. Yeah. It's not. It, it it doesn't have the excitement anymore. Yeah. Regarding D box, there's the theater at the um, Chinese at, at the Chinese where yeah. they used to have at the beginning before D box was really out there. They had like a little D box kiosk out in the lobby where you can sit and experience D-Box. Yeah, like there, were, there were always 12-year-olds sitting in those seats. Yeah, there was, there was like a 17-inch monitor and you could watch whatever, 2012 and, uh, and experience D-Box. The thing is that it's just another one of those movies that is that one, another one of those marketing gimmicks like Sense Around from back in the day mm-hmm. that is supposed to get you out of your living room seat into yep. a movie theater. And in the end, I just think it's stupid. Now, Sense Around, you know, Sense Around was just really the base turned up yes so 
high <laughs> that it would just make your make your uh, chair shake. That's Sen- all. Sensorama was. was cheesy, but D box. I mean, there is technology involved yeah. in D box. Yes, I, I just think that it's just. It, 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 I mean, it's just a joke. It's not yeah. worth it. No, silly nonsense. All right, Mark. Uh, that's it for listener mail. Let's. Uh, if you want to hit us with listener mail, by all means, gods at digigods.com. Send us your Vox Box recordings, gods at digigods.com. And please send us new intros. We're looking for new intros. We're going to be recording those soon, um, gods at digigods.com. And if you want us to plug anything in, our, in those intros, plug your website, plug your book, plug your movie, plug your life, your, chill, your child, your, your, uh, your favorite clothing designer, whatever. Throw it in there. We'll do it. We're whores or pimps, as it were. Ho- I, I like to say hoe bag. Hoe bag. That's what we are. All right, Mark. We're going to talk about some classic movies now. Or I guess is that would, would... <laughs> is that what you meant when you were, when you were looking at this? <laughs> I guess um, Top Gun in 3D. Top Gun has been on Blu-ray before, but uh, it is now out again on Blu-ray, uh, Blu-ray 3D, because they did a 3D uh, conversion and re-released it, and somehow they think they're going to get a little bit of juice out of this. I say well, nay. Well, maybe they would have got juice out of it if Tony Scott didn't uh, either kill himself or yeah. whatever it was, die prematurely, horribly, surprisingly, and tragically. Uh, now that he's unfortunately out of the picture, I don't know if Top Gun 2 will ever happen. But Top Gun is definitely – the thing with Top Gun is that not that the aerial footage doesn't hold up, um, and I do love Tom Cruise. Uh, it, it, it is a bit of a movie of its time. It is very much a bunch of you know Reagan era jingoism, mm-hmm. and I and you know in an, in an era of war when the country is very polarized between you know conservative and liberal, I can see certain swaths of the country regrooving mm-hmm. on Top Gun, uh, and I can see maybe more liberal audiences just maybe not grooving on the jingoism of it, but maybe just grooving on the cheesiness of it because again this film was like from 1986 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think it can be enjoyed on two different levels, depending on your political stripe. But ultimately, is, is it a good film? Does it hold up? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's cheesy. Frankly, it just comes off as cheesy now. But that was kind of a uh, that was a hallmark of the, of the Simpson Bruckheimer years. You know, yeah. uh, the, their films were just they were just they were the quintessential '80s producers, yeah. and this kind of was their quintessential film. So I would recommend Top Gun just as, as a film of its era, and uh, an early Tom Cruise, a you know, you know, late early Tom Cruise success. Uh, yeah, Top Gun. I got a trio here from Twilight Time. We love when Twilight Time comes out with titles because they're always such a great surprise. They do a little bit like Olive. They license titles from uh, from the studios and from other companies that otherwise would not get a good treatment. And three wonderful Blu-rays here. Um, Pony Soldier is maybe the least interesting of these. Now, all of these are available only on ScreenArchives.com. There are only 3,000 units of each available. When they're gone, they're gone. They're done forever. And uh, the the appeal largely with these is that you get uh, isolated score tracks on these because they always have great scores. Pony Soldier is really noteworthy because of the Alex North music more than anything. Um, Tyrone Power plays a, uh, you know, made in 1952, he plays a um, Canadian Mountie who's got this kind of a mission to uh, guide some uh, Cree Indians back to their reservation. Uh, it's not such a great movie. Um, Joseph Newman, not such a great director in this case, but the music's great, the photography's great, so, you know, that's that makes it a little bit worthwhile. Um, 
much better film is Nicholas and Alexandra, which is a film that I think has never really gotten its proper due. This was made in 1971 uh, when these kinds of costume epics and biopics were sort of on the wane. This would have been a better, bigger deal in the mid-60s. But uh, Nicholas and Alexandra is, of course, about the last czar and czarina of Russia. Uh, directed by Franklin Schaffner, just uh, right after he won an Oscar for uh, Patton, produced by Sam Spiegel, who, of course, did Bridge in the River Kwai and On the Waterfront, and uh, which we'll also be talking about in just a second, and uh, Lawrence of Arabia, most famously. So um, Sam Spiegel, you know, kind of almost ruined this film himself. I think he oversold it a little bit, but it's a great script by James Goldman, terrific direction by Franklin Schaffner, and a wonderful score by Richard Rodney Bennett, which you also get in an isolated score track, fantastic a few other little uh, featurettes on there too great blu-ray transfer from twilight time and the most fun of the bunch is in like flint which of Yay. course came oh so good james colburn stars in the in basically a bond spoof um which uh was the sequel to our man flint that was made in 1966 this one followed uh shortly thereafter in 1967 and uh it's a lot of fun man it's just a whole lot of fun the, uh, the all the bond spoofs from the era I, I think in many ways are, are just as fun as the bond films and this not only has an isolated score track for the jerry goldsmith music which is great but it has tons and tons and tons of extras and feature featurettes and little tidbits like uh, flint versus zanuck the missing three minutes Really interesting. Uh, the premiere in Puerto Rico and uh, just a lot of fun stuff, even uh, some screen test stuff, which you'll, you'll thoroughly enjoy. So Twilight Time, once again, does a great job, nails it. Uh, Wade, we have on uh, uh, digit. I, I like these little digit books that uh, Warner Brothers puts out. It's nice. Uh, the latest one is The Star is Born. And, uh, oh, the Blu-ray books. Yeah. Blu-ray books. It's from, it's a star, now, Star is Born has been made a bunch of times. Uh, Judy Garland was kind of the first notable one. And Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand starred in the 1976 remake. And, uh, you know, it's funny. People, uh, people are saying that, like, Anne Hathaway deserves an Oscar right now for her little uninterrupted uh, seven-minute, uh, you know, blah-bitty-blah blah, 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 mm-hmm. of uh, that song, uh, I Dreamed a Dream. Well, you know, at the end of, uh, towards the end, if not the end, of A Star is Born, Barbara Streisand sings a song un- un- uninterrupted for, like, you know, eight minutes. You know, but then again, she's a concert performer. So that's all she does. Yeah. Uh, so it's not un, it's not unprecedented for a, an actor to sing on stage or sing a song on a movie in a movie for you know eight minutes uninterrupted. Anyway, um, I don't know that this movie really works for me. I I, I think that Barbara Streisand was kind of miscast. I I, don't, I never found Barbara Streisand a very uh, attractive woman, and uh, I don't know that I find her a very contemporary character on film. I know here she's supposed to be a contemporary character. Chris Christopherson plays the. Um, he plays the artist who is on his way down as Barbara Streisand is on her way up. And in fact, this, this, this whole movie is – this movie could be summed up in one shot from the artist. Remember the shot of the artist of the, uh, of, of, of the, of the staircase? I think. Mm-hmm. It was, and when he's going down and she's going up the staircase and the artist – remember Jean Dujardin yes, is going absolutely. down the staircase and the Brilliant. woman's going up the staircase? It's wonderful. That's pretty much a star is born in one shot. Yes, it is. Chris Christopherson's going down. Barbara Streisand's going up. So uh, I had a lot of problems with this film. I think there's some good stuff in it. Um, I Paul Mazursky, I know when, when Paul Mazursky was a director, when, I, when he acts, I like it. Except when he acts in uh, Stanley Kubrick films, I don't like that. <laughs> but, uh, but ultimately, I just think that uh, uh, Streisand is, is too uh, – she doesn't really like to look dowdy or unhappy or dressed down. I mean, there's a scene in this movie where she's like – like you know, like riding a horse, and she looks like she's going out to dinner that night at like uh, you know Sardi's or something, 
And uh, but then again, that's the point of a star vehicle is that the star always looks beautiful. But it was a little distracting here. And I always like Chris Christopherson. He's had a much more he's had a much longer and more distinguished career than I think he's given credit for. But um, look, a lot of special features, commentary by by Barbara Streisand, deleted scenes, wardrobe tests and a commentary on the wardrobe test with Barbara Streisand. Uh, of course, it's the Digibook thing, so it's got a little essay in it and some photos. So first time on Blu-ray, uh, I think your parents will absolutely love it. Uh, will you love it as a film? Meh, not that great. You'll be like, Barbara Streisand, she was considered beautiful? I don't know it. You know, I keep hoping they're going to do the Blu-ray book treatment. i got a couple more musical uh, things to, to add to that here. Uh, Irving Berlin's Easter Parade with Judy Garland and Fred Astaire should be a Blu-ray book. I don't know why they didn't do it. Warner Brothers uh, has instead released it as just a straight-up Blu-ray. And it's still a wonderful film and a sensational transfer. Uh, there's, you know, there's nothing bad you can say about this. I remember hearing the uh, one of the Warner executives one point at a, at a demonstration I went to for the, uh, the 2K screening of The Adventures of Robin Hood saying, um, we live uh, in 4K here, meaning they restore everything in 4K and they will use 2K transfers for their DVDs and Blu-rays. But uh, you can tell they really pay attention to their movies. And uh, even though this is not a kind of big whopping uh, special edition, Blu-ray book, whatever. You can tell that they, the transfer is the same quality. They just didn't load it up with all the bells and whistles. Still, a lot of great extras on here. Uh, commentary by Ava Astaire McKenzie and John Fricke. Uh, several featurettes, including the entire American Masters show, Judy Garland by Myself, which itself should be, it's like its own, it's its own title. Um, and uh, there's an outtake and some dailies and uh, really just a lot of fun stuff. You just get to relive the glory of this movie all over again, and it's such good music. And freaking Judy Garland and Fred Astaire, it's when the movies were movies. Why don't we have that anymore? It's so depressing. Um, also, uh, as far as we're talking about musicals, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, for their 90th birthday, is doing a whole best-of re- series of releases, giant, very expensive boxed sets. This includes like a 100-film box set, a 50-film Blu-ray box set, and then these 20-film collections that are meant to sort of really immerse you in the glory of Warner Brothers. The one I have in front of us, which is the sample that they sent us, is the 20-film collection Musicals. And uh, I know when you think musicals, you think, oh, Warner Brothers. Wait a minute. No, musicals were MGM. Uh, Well, we've just talked about a bunch of musicals that are all Warner Brothers, Star is Born and, and Easter Parade. And here, this is what you get. On, these are the 20 films that you get on this 20-film collection. It's bl- not Blu-ray, DVD. A lot of these are already on Blu-ray. But this is what you get on the musicals, the 20 musicals. The Jazz Singer from 1927. Broadway Melody from 1929. 42nd Street, 1933. The Great Zigfield. I mean, they're Oscar winners. They're Best Picture winners here, by the way. You know, Great Zigfield. Uh, Wizard of Oz, 1939. Yankee Doodle Dandy, 1942, won uh, Best Actor for uh, James Cagney. Uh, American in Paris, another Best Picture winner, 1951. And you're thinking, my gosh, Warner, really, they were a musical studio. They were up there with MGM. Showboat, 1951, Jerome Kern, which I've seen, by the way, on stage. Fantastic. Ned Beatty, couldn't be better. Uh, Ned Beatty and Showboat, I'm not kidding you. It was fantastic. So was, he was great. Singing in the Rain, 1952, widely considered the uh, greatest musical ever made. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, not such a fan. That's 1954. The original, uh, or the, the middle Star is Born, the Judy Garland Star is Born from 1954. Music Man, 1962. Here's where it gets weird, Mark. Everything's fine there, all right? We're, we're good. So far, we're so great. Good. We're yeah. good. We're good. Viva Las Vegas, 
Well, he, you know, you've got to represent uh, uh, Elvis, I Elvis. guess. I mean, I love the film, but it's like, really? Okay. I don't really consider it a musical. It's like an Elvis movie. Elvis movies aren't really musicals. They're just Elvis movies. Uh, and then Camelot, which I love the music, but the movie's a problem. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I greatest ever. Greatest ever. Can't recommend the DVD because you got a, a great Blu-ray set out there for that. That just rocks on Blu-ray. Cabaret, 1972, which has also been out on Blu-ray, but they have not yet sent it to us, and I'm very bitter about that. Um, uh, that's Entertainment, 1974. That was a big deal at the time, that movie. It was a big time. was a big deal. It was, a, uh, it was, it was like a uh, mm-hmm. greatest hits of all the big musicals. Yep. Victor Victoria, 1982. Yeah, Julie Andrews puts a cockroach in the salad. There you go. Little Shop of Horrors. Love that movie. What's wrong with that? It's great. Yeah. No, it's great. And, and then Hairspray, which is meh. But, you know, it's like, wow. So there's a few There's a few in here that, that don't... No, look, we, we often complain about uh, box sets, about how, like, there's, there's like, two good films... Uh, two okay films and one that's been sitting on the shelf forever. Pretty, pretty great though, right? But this is these are twenty films that I can justify you yeah. watching. Yeah, I can too. I can too. I so. wish they were on Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, anyway. Oh, Wade. Yeah. I know. What? I want it. Uh, no, 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 no. You, you talk about best in show, want, and then and I don't then. I want that. I don't, I don't okay. want that. I want that. Okay. Me do you, you want it? Do you want you want me to talk about it now? Yeah, me want it. Give it to me. I want it now. Mark's talking about on the waterfront. Please the other me. Sam Spiegel film, the first of Sam Spiegel's uh, three Best Picture Oscars. From Criterion, 1954, beautiful Blu-ray edition. Uh, you know what I love about this this edition of On the Waterfront, Mark? Uh, the artwork. Isn't yes, that great? Yes, beautiful. Isn't that sensational? Yep. Criterion, you guys are so awesome. You just do the coolest things. I mean, this is it's just it's it's hand-drawn artwork. Uh, you know, monochrome artwork of uh, Marlon Brando sitting on the roof. It's just it's so cool. I don't, you know, it must be original artwork uh, used for publicity purposes. I've never seen it before, but it's perfect. It just makes for such a, it makes it just feel special. Uh, On the Waterfront is, of course, a great film. The uh, One of the first uh, sort of method acting movies that uh, really broke through Marlon Brando and Carl Malden and uh, Rod Steiger under the direction of Elia Kazan. And uh, it's all about, uh, you know, union and uh, union corruption on the docks. And, uh... The, Marlon Brando's Terry Malloy is just one of the great characters in movie history. Could have been a contender. Who, how many people quote that over and over and over? That is true. It's 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 a throwaway line, but it's so good. And that great it, Leonard Bernstein just, score. Oh, yeah. the Leonard Bernstein and in Fred Gwynn, the future Herman Munster <laughs> is a really really skinny palooka. Yes, he's so good. He's awesome. hardly in the movie, but he just you, you go that's that's Herman Munster. He needs to put on a few pounds. It's great. Uh, terrific audio commentary here by Richard Schickel and Jeff Young. You know, Schickel is such a curmudgeon, but when he when he gets going on commentaries, he's just beyond. It's just he's it, incomparable. And a conversation with Martin Scorsese and film critic Kent Jones. Uh, an hour long documentary called Ilya Kazan: An Outsider, which was made in 1982, which is just superb. Uh, another documentary that's brand new on the making of the film, which uh, it, it just it. it taught me so many things I thought I knew I had no idea I had lectures on this film in school and I had no idea about some of this other stuff uh, there's even a 2001 documentary on um, on the, the on that scene called Contender Mastering the Method all about method acting and the scene it's just great on and on and on and on this is a beautiful 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 film a terrific Criterion release and um, you even get uh, a second disc here, which includes alternate presentations of the restoration in two additional aspect ratios, 185 and 133. Isn't that interesting? 
It's terrific. Not really. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yep, I agree. Cannot recommend that highly enough. On the waterfront, Criterion knocks out of the park again. Uh, wait, we have uh, a couple more films here. We have uh, on Blu-ray, is, has not been on Blu-ray before, which I find surprising, is uh, Christopher Guest's Best in Show. This was his follow-up to Waiting for Guffman, and I think this is um, just as funny because not only do you have um, that great cast, Eugene, uh, Eugene Levy and uh, Christopher Guest and uh, a bunch of his, you know, idiosyncratic, hilarious, funny ad-libbers, but you also have cute little doggies, and doggies are cute. Yeah, everyone loves doggies. Mm. And, of course, the best part is the, uh, the, the improvised uh, commentary by the Best and Dog, uh, the, the, uh, the Westminster Dog Show, you know, commentators, the TV commentators, played yeah. by Fred Willard uh, is one of them. So that's really just classic stuff. And here it's kind of like you get a sense of, it, when you look at the film, not only is it unbelievably funny and unbelievably cute, but you, it really is, in, in, in its own way, a bit of a human story because everybody has their own reason for getting into the dog show. And it's just different types of reasons. People yeah. either they either obsessed with dogs, or they're bored, or they're just bored in life, or they're just really happy people who need to just get off the Prozac, um, or they're, they're it's just an outlet for their obsession. Whatever it is, you kind of do find you know everybody's you know everybody's uh, different types of personalities that are out there represented in these couples that do these uh, dog shows. And Christopher Guest kind of, he kind of, uh, the, the, net, the one, when he did For Your Consideration, that one kind of fell apart. Ooh, that was, bit. that was the beginning of the end. That was it. And yeah. you know, that's the one where it's like, he's making fun of actors who want to make movies. And that's just, it just felt a little bit self-serving. Just like, like we really care about, yeah. you know, like an, a, another Hollywood spoof, you know, and it just felt like, uh, I think after that, he kind of fell apart a little bit. But Best in Show is great. And so is Waiting for Guffman. All righty. And that does it. So, uh, meanwhile, it, please send us emails, box boxes, and suggested uh, suggestions for new openings to uh, godsatdigigods.com. And include with those openings any plugs that you want us to do for your websites and your, your books and your movies and everything else. We are happy to do it. And uh, with that, we will see you next week. <laughs>